Okay, welcome everybody. This is the latest episode of Spotlight. We're tackling today Star Trek Insurrection, the ninth episode in the Star Trek movie franchise released in 1998. I'm Paul Wilson and my co-host today, as usual, is... Liam Dempsey. Matt Brothers. And our special guest today is Mr. Ross O'Coy. Hi there. Hello Ross. As usual, with all our guests, we're going to do a little bit of background about what your past with Star Trek is. Mm. Have you always been a fan, or or are you a fan? Well, my history of Star Trek mainly comes from what I've seen watching my dad um, watch it. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Well, we've had the father and son story a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, my my thing with Star Trek is when I was younger, I used to watch kids' TV, as anyone else did. Uh, and then we go on and watch Neighbours, and then after Neighbours was always um, <laughs> the Next Generation on Channel Two, I think. So this BBC is your Two. Way in was through Next Gen. Yeah, so I'd watch that. Like I wouldn't usually pay attention to it. I wouldn't be like, oh my god, it's Star Star Trek. I'd just sit there. And be like, oh yeah, okay, I can't be bothered to get up. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> Neighbours, it, it already been going for half an hour. Just um, let it wash over. I've already yeah. been sat there just vegetating, yeah. watching Neighbours, and then Star Trek comes on, and it's basically what we watch when we're waiting for dinner to be ready. Yeah. <laughs> so you. Usually I'd see about half an episode, and then I'd go and eat dinner. And there was never an occasion where you're like, can you just wait a second, I'm finishing watching Star Trek. You were just straight in there. Nothing was was ever resolved. Get the video out, (laughs) record the rest. My dad, like, he'd always watch all, any sci-fi. Like, if it was on the sci-fi channel, or if there's a new sci-fi thing, he'd just sit there and watch it. So he was there at the beginning of, like, Babylon 5. Yeah, he loved Babylon My dad loves Babylon 5. uh, What's the one with the the Muppets? Like, that was quite big. (laughs) The Uh, Muppets? Oh, Fastgate. Watch I mean, Fast Go. Because this was the year of BBC Two just buying in all these American yeah. sci-fi shows. So yeah, I'll go be a fan. They'll be a fan of that one too. Yeah, no, yeah. If it was on TV and it would had spaceships, he'd like it. There was certainly that time, <laughs> Space wasn't precinct. there? Yeah, he watched that. <laughs> there was that time, wasn't there? The late nineties into early noughties with all these shows, Fast Game about all the same kind of prosthetic co-stars mm. and uh, what's the other one? It was. Um, was it Andromeda? Space? No, Andromeda was one. Space Above and Beyond? Yeah. It was one that was cancelled after one series, I think. Yeah, that's People that say yeah, some good stuff yeah, there. Yeah. Like, but the whole purpose of our show is to watch these films from a non tracky perspective. And you have really been dedicated to the cause and watch through all of the films along with us, haven't you, Ross? Yeah. I heard you wanted me as a guest star on Insurrection for some reason, so uh, I thought, we okay, thought great. it would be funny. You've got to a lot of pressure now. Then, I, 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 then what I did is I uh, listened to your podcast and genuinely actually really enjoyed it. So I thought, actually, I'm going to get on board and watch every film and then listen to every podcast in it's, turn. You are definitely the most prepared guest. In terms of people who had had to watch something beforehand, like, yeah, you've come mm. up right up to speed the Trek films and watch this one at its mm. right point yeah. in there. In, in quick succession as well, right? Because yeah. we start the rewatch only a few weeks ago, I swear. Uh, yeah, I've watched one or two a week. I mm. hadn't, the only ones I'd seen up to this point, I'd watched a bit of the one when they saved the whales, and I'd seen Generations. I saw that in the cinema. Yeah. I remember that distinctively. And I saw First Contact in the cinema. Maybe VHS. Either way. <laughs> but I saw those. So little difference between those two formats. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, it's more or less the same, isn't it? But what we thought would be good uh, for the podcast was for you to actually give us your thoughts on the first eight Star Trek films to bring everyone who's listening up to date. So if this is your first episode of Spotlight, we'll bring you back up to date right now. And it's funny enough, Ross and I used to host a radio show on local radio um, back in our hometown of Bournemouth uh, called The Bucket. 
now, with this show, what we used to do is we used to pick subjects out of a bucket suggested by the listeners and then discuss them for a time limit of 10 minutes. So, in the grand tradition of that show, what we're going to do... It's going to be an hour and a half long. (laughs) We're going to give Ross 30 timed seconds to discuss each Star Trek film up to this point, starting with Star Trek The Motion Picture. And we'll discover if there is a comparison. (laughs) Right, three, two, one. Star Trek The Motion Picture. Well, there is no comparison, of course, but... I watched it and I... not a lot happened really. I, it held my intrigue. I was intrigued to see what was going to happen. And officially, I watched the podcast before watching a film on this one to get me into it. So I already kind of knew what it was, but I was fascinated. There was um, a bald woman who went missing and uh, a handsome man, a handsome man who gave his life for some reason. Oh, I haven't given my score yet. Do it now! Give my score. Four out of ten. Um, oh, hold on. Wrath of Khan, right? Wrath of Khan, overrated. I thought it was all right. Um, even the bit where he goes, Khan! Isn't as dramatic as everyone makes it out to be. Um, it was good. The bit with Chekhov having the stuff inserted into him, into his ear, was pretty horrific. It's a bit of body horror. And uh, enjoyable. Um, score is 6.5 out of 10. Star Trek 3, The Search of Spark. Yeah, uh, I actually can't remember what happened. Um, that was correct. Quite, um, yeah, not a lot happened. Oh yeah, there was like baby weird clone Spock, wasn't there? And there was a planet, and I didn't, yeah, it just seemed like a whole film made to bring back Spock after they mistakenly killed him off. Which is something, I don't even know why he had to give, give his own life in the end of the second one as well. Like, what was that about? But, yeah, um, oh god, um, 5.5 out of 10. Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. The Voyage Home, I really enjoyed. I didn't expect to like The Voyage Home. I thought, why are they just saving well? This is going to be some eco bullshit. But actually, it was... <laughs> it's ethical, like a... Vote <laughs> <laughs> <Folk> green. <laughs> yeah. But um, I just thought it was going to be like, yeah, some saving Wales propaganda. But actually, I really, in, I really <laughs> enjoyed it. No, I really enjoyed it. And it was, it was fun. It was, yeah, I actually was really involved in the story. And yeah, who needs space? You've got, you got a great crew. Yes. Yeah, where is it? Oh, 8 out of 10. Oh, very good. Yeah. Star Trek 5, The Final Frontier. What a fucking waste of time. <laughs> Final Frontier, I was amazed that any of you gave it a good score. It was awful. Um, the Final Frontier it was the only Star Trek film in this list I fell asleep during. <laughs> I woke up and they were talking to a giant head. So I had to, I had to rewind and watch that again because I had no idea what was going on. Did it offend you as a formerly religious man? It just offended me because it was shit. Um, Score. Two out of ten. Generous, generous two. Star Trek six, The Undiscovered Country. The Undiscovered Country was the, one of the films that really actually um, shocked me. Uh, not shocking as a controversial way, it shocked me because it was really good. Um, I really enjoyed Undiscovered Country. It felt like a proper, complete movie with proper good plot points, a political um, insight, and mm. I really enjoyed the special effects, um, a real big step up, and it felt grand and great. Mm. I really loved it. Great. 8.5 out of 10. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Star Trek Generations. Yep, the first one I saw in the cinema, a bit of nostalgia factor for Generations. Mm. Um, I remember the spaceship splitting in half and crashing and them riding horses. That's all I remembered. So it was kind of refreshing to see it again. And in watching it again, I enjoyed the connections between Kirk and Picard, seeing Picard get beaten up multiple times and (laughs) seeing him struggle to get through a pile of rocks was fun. um, Yeah, I actually enjoy Generations, even though I know in my heart it's not great. 
Um, I gave it 6 out of 10. Okay, Star Trek First Contact. Now before doing this pod, I'd always regard First Contact as my favourite Star Trek film out of the Excellent. two I've seen. So, <laughs> it's, um, so I really liked it. And watching it again, I still really like it. Uh, once again, the production value is upped massively. I love the beginning when Worf is going to give his own life. Like, yeah, I, true, I absolutely yeah. love Worf, he's a legend. And um, <laughs> just as a whole movie, the Borg are the greatest enemies, and the film has so many great moments, and my friend even made a great homage to the movie. Which cool. about 8.6 out of 10. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well that, that uh, homage we may link to who uh, H. Ross did a movie before yes. we started this. Oh yeah, that's uh, it, isn't it? And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that is all eight. So now we arrive at Star Trek Insurrection, the ninth. Star Trek movie. So out of that first date, First Contact is your favourite, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, First Contact, yeah, yeah. 8.6. Sounds and the... like Final Frontier, least, least favourite. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, but obviously, today, we're here to talk about Star Trek Insurrection. Mm. And I assume that will be going straight in at number one slot. Yeah? <laughs> we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. I'm not going to tell you yet. I'll, I'll leave you. But the funny thing is, you started with the rewatch with nine, yes. then one, one through eight, and then you rewatched nine again. And I, there was yeah. something in our messaging beforehand saying, not looking forward to watching it again. <laughs> so soon. Well, actually, you say that, but actually, I watched it and I watched it with a friend, and watching it, I think this one, watching it with a friend, is exactly the type of Star Trek you can, mm. because I didn't think it took itself too seriously, no. really. Yeah, mm -hmm. There's a lot of moments where you can just sit there and just, just yeah, have a yeah, good time, really. That's my opinion. I think it's, yeah, if you're watching with somebody who's a fan of the show or just like, is familiar with the characters, mm. and you can kind of, like, it seems really made for the fans in terms of you can revel in like the little kind of uh, character moments, but yeah, I can see if somebody who's, this is their first entry into mm. it, just bought a ticket for Star yeah. Trek Insurrection and went in, would be maybe feeling a little bit, oh, let's see. But before we deep dive into today's film, I think a bit of housekeeping, number one, uh, Ross, tell us about Aegis Apparel, uh, your clothing line, because that's a very interesting thing about you that uh, we should talk about. Yeah, of course. When you said housekeeping, I thought you were going to tell me like where the fire escapes were. I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> we have got you there here is for two reasons, to get Star on the pod and clean this house up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, Aegis Apparel is the company that I run with my brother George. And we do it together, we've been going for a year and a bit now, and it's all African-inspired clothing with British design. And it's all built from the ground up by us, and I think we're all wearing a piece of Ages of Power right yeah, now. Yeah, me and Paul have literally yeah. snapped up some bits within the last 10 minutes. So yeah, so I also... That's the power. Yeah. yeah. Still got the tags on. Still uh, got the tags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, we're really proud of what we've done. And if you head to agesapparel.com, you can see our story, learn more about us, and maybe you can get some gear yourself. Yeah, and you've book got big into the you know ethically sourcing, not just the materials and the label. Yeah, we give back to uh, the African Wildlife Foundation because a lot of our inspiration comes from the wild animals of Africa. We thought, what better way to give back to them mm. uh, than to help them not go extinct? There's so many fantastic, great animals in Africa, like. Mm. And so a lot of them are critically endangered. Stuff like gorillas and mm. like rhinos and things. Can you imagine living in a world where they mm. don't exist? I think some of them really surprises people. Because you tell some people so-and-so is nearly endangered. And some people are like, oh, okay, maybe I see that with the rhinos. But mm. there are others that are really close. A certain type of tigers. So. Yeah, some of these things are being hun hunted and things too. So taking the kind of... Tom's model of like, you know, sort of one shoe sold, one shoes go to like uh, children in a country you're using. Yeah. Some of the profits will kind of go back to funding projects. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're not quite as generous as Tom's when it comes to giving <laughs> a whole pair of shoes every small time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, humble beginnings. Yeah, we're growing. So we have a t shirt, jumper, hat, or art print. Yeah, you know, we give a pound to the African Wildlife Foundation. Is it, um, do you ship internationally? We do ship internationally, oh. yeah. 
Fantastic. Yeah, you were telling me earlier, and I believe that your ethical standards were inspired by Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, before that, I was like, fuck it. <laughs> and then I watched that and I was inspired. <laughs> I was like, the error of your wife. I was like, oh, the beautiful whales. We need some whale tees. I was like, oh, it's what Kirk would have wanted. Oh, those <laughs> no, African um, whales. <laughs> yeah, we believed in that before as well because there's only one planet that we live on and it's the whole fair trade thing as well. You want the people to get a good deal and we don't want to be responsible for the suffering of other people. And I think a lot more people, due to the ease of information, are a lot more knowledgeable about where their stuff comes from and I think um, people like to make the more sensible choice these days and I really hope they do kind of fire proofing yourself against any future <laughs> article that links you to like yes, <laughs> some, yeah. some sweatshops yeah you're, you're gonna you're gonna be like getting clips from what I was like earlier like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. without context and being like this is what Ross has said <laughs> well yeah we're sure to uh, put out some more contact details that at the end of the uh, pod um, also I've got to recommend a couple of other podcasts uh, which I've heard which I really like um, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan I mean funny enough considering we do a Star Trek podcast um, the sci-fi show that I'm the biggest fan of is probably Doctor Who uh, and some people do an excellent Doctor Who podcast uh, it's got real interesting USP in the sense of it mixes prog rock and Doctor Who and you'd think that would be an odd combination but it works um, go and look up Proctor Who you can find it on Twitter at, at Mark Doctor Mark with M-A-R-C uh, it's a really really great podcast if you like Doctor Who and I'm actually going to be guest starring on it at some point in the future um, it might be already at some point during the new series run of Doctor Who, which is going on at the moment. Do they uh, review it as it goes along? Is it? Yeah, yeah, they're reviewing as they go along. I mean, they kind of, uh, I think, go back and forth all over the place in Doctor Who's massive 50-plus year history. But at the moment, they're reviewing the new series. I'm going to go on at some point to talk about one of the new episodes. So that should be really interesting. They're great lads. Definitely check it out. And there's also another podcast I really like um, called Diminishing Returns. Uh, which is about sequels mm. um, and reboots and stuff like that, primarily about that stuff. It's two Scottish fellas, and they're really funny. Um, you can check them out at Diminishing Pod on Twitter and track those two down. They're both really worth subscribing to. So they, awesome. How do they do that? Do they kind of flit around uh, like the sweet sequels, or do they just pick a franchise total episode? Um, yeah, they like basically they, they flip between doing episodes which are kind of just all sequel news like all the sequels coming out like yeah. in the next like year and stuff and then ones that are just primarily focusing on a particular sequel like they did an episode on the Dirty Harry sequels yeah yeah um, and that was really really funny and they actually recently did one on Miss Congeniality too yeah. <laughs> and that was very very funny indeed I'm waiting feverishly for their inevitable episode on Trainspotting 2 being that they're both Scottish surely that is coming yeah. um, so that'll be interesting but yeah both those podcasts really fucking great I was going to say that's just such a, a deep mind to go down as well I figured we'd have a horror sequels like a couple of episodes yeah. back I just figured like you know but I just wonder, like how you start that like, you kind of you need to pick a franchise where the first one was really good and then you kind of just see how if they are diminishing returns or not and you've yeah, got things like Disney director DVD sequels mm. yeah it's a wicked idea Oh, well, um, I'm going to have a shout out to Bambi 2 for our <laughs> man Peace Jew playing Bambi's dad. Uh, uh, the better director video sequels. What? Yes. Explain. Well, well, the, he, yeah. he plays Bambi's dad. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a, it's a, well, it's a midquel. 
Okay. It's set halfway through Bambi. Right. And it fills Fill in, in some of the backstory. Yeah, oh, it's like mythology. after the mum dies and you see his dad come along and sort of shepherd him off and then next thing you see Bambi, he's pretty fully grown. Is Bambi a guy? Bambi's a guy. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Patrick Stewart plays right like his dad. <laughs> like, and so the whole thing is him coming of age with like a very stern father and Patrick Stewart voices that. This is Sonic Godzilla or something. It's really lovingly done in terms of, like, I mean, I will hold Bambi up there as one of the best animations yeah. ever. And, you know, for a director video sequel to try and match that level of animation, of course, they can't quite do it, but it's close. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, they're using a lot of you know, computer shortcuts to do the same animation, but... Hmm. Yeah, well, all over the Disney sequels, I literally yeah. saw Return of the Jafar for the oh. first time, which is the first Disney director video uh, sequel. But yeah, Proctor Who, when I guest star on it, I will... <laughs> Return <of> put, um, <laughs> Anyway. I, I, I will put that uh, a link yeah. out to that episode on all of our kind of social media stuff, on Twitter and Instagram, all that. Uh, so if you are a fan of Dot Two, go and have a listen to that. You can yes. hear me talking about something I know more about. Yeah. I was going to say one quick note about the previous Star Trek films, which I thought I'd want to mention, and a few of them is I didn't realise that all the Star Trek movies were like after the TV show. I thought it was like going alongside it. I just didn't realise mm. it was all after. This is something. I oh, never knew. okay. It was interesting to know and how old they were when they started, and then they're like. Yeah. Very old. Oh, yeah. So didn't, <laughs> I didn't realise. Old when they started. Because I guess older. I didn't watch the original TV show, so I didn't know really the gap. Other things oh, yeah, I didn't realise. Oh, you mean the next gen film? No, 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 the original. Oh, but both, you know that both of them are after all the series. Yeah, I didn't realise that next gen either. Oh, yeah, okay. I think because they were still doing reruns and stuff when the new ones came out, and I didn't realise there were reruns because I only ever watched half an episode at a time. So. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> then I also didn't realise that all the, like, the films were connected, like one after the other and going like that, and I was really impressed by that. I, just, I had no idea. I just thought they were random standalone adventures. Yeah, I mean, cool. certainly the... Search for Spock, uh, Roth of Khan, Voyage Home, and even Undiscovered Country are all kind of yeah. seem all connected, don't they? The thing yeah. with uh, Sulu becoming captain of the other ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, a carry on, isn't it? Well, even the stuff kind of in Undiscovered Country, they kind of deal with the fallout of the Klingons. Kind and, of stuff yeah, like, yeah. And, and hating on Kirk, which yeah, is yeah. Yeah. three and four. But I think, you know, five is the only pretty much standalone one, and uh, look where that goes, so. <laughs> well, and, we uh, are massive Final Frontier apologists, yeah. of course. So this is a house divided today, a podcast divided. Mm. Ross and Paul on the side of the haters. <laughs> Matt and I on the side of the Final we'll Frontier apologists. We'll see how apologists. it splits when we get to this. <laughs> Another thing this might be controversial, two points. One, I don't really see the point of Dr. McCoy. I think that could, I think that could be very controversial. <laughs> okay, maybe you're, you're quite down on doctors, aren't you? Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. there's maybe there's a point of having a doctor on a ship. I mean, obviously that makes sense. But yeah. him being like a main character, like, I, I don't see what he is apart from just negativity and whining. Do you consider him a hero, a true a true hero because of his profession? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we also know in the Star Trek world, there's no money, so he's not being paid. No. Yeah, he's doing it for the love of it. So and he then, really is. Yeah. yeah. Well, Star Trek—they're all heroes. <laughs> I try to all of them equally. Stay in the McCoy, you've got, is it just, I the, just the, the Doctor problem you've got, or is it just literally no. McCoy? I have no problem with Doctors. So you're okay with Crusher? 
Crush is a legend. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love wow. well, I love her name for a start. Like Doctor Crusher. Yeah, like, no, that what is a name. Like, um, it's a sexy name. Yeah, it is. It is. Ah, <laughs> oh, Beverly. I think, like, this was a bit like a Bond villainess. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she should be um, yeah, the sidekick to the villain. Yeah, so that was controversial point number one. You don't yeah, like McCoy. McCoy. He's just he just brings an air of ne negativity. It's like Kirk. Kirk it's like, like no, he's not a voice of reason. He's a voice. It's like there's Kirk, voice and then there'd be like uh, Spock would be like the nice angel on one side and the doctor is just a little <laughs> devil like I no you can't do that no where's your humanity oh I was like well Spock is logical Spock actually does looks at yeah. sense. I knew you'd side with you're like Spock. listen to Spock is it because like, I have big ears <laughs> you don't want to be surrounded by yes men do you you want to have like a little bit of a <laughs> Ross does <laughs> want to be surrounded by yes men <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Spock's not a yes man is he Spock's just a man of logic yeah but he offers an opinion he's not saying like why is the doctor even on the bridge uh, get, get, back, get back to sick bay. Like, there's people yeah. probably who need attention. Why are you going on off mission? <laughs> yeah. What I, is that about? I, I feel quite funny in this one actually. There's a bit. There's a line where the forge says like, "I'll be in engineering." It's like, where else are you going to be? The bar. <laughs> <laughs> What's controversial? Point number two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it reminded me a moment ago, and um, I just oh, every time I listen to the podcast, it's whenever you say Roth. We mentioned it before. I've said it to you before that I've always looked at it and thought it, and always, and I always read it and say it as Wrath. Well, you are wrong. And then I heard that Roth apparently is the way that it's meant to be said in English, but that's not how it's spelt. And I think I think it's the way that I think, I think when when Liam over like, how, do you, how, how do you say Django? <laughs> Django. The no. is silent. Um, the A is silent. But no, it's it's just that um, that's how I always said it, and I think it sounds better. And it's the way that um, you always exaggerate certain words in sentences, and you go Roth or Car, and, always, and it always like. Shiver up my spine, and, uh, <laughs> and I just want to turn off the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to turn off the podcast. Okay, you stop. Throw your iPod across the room. But I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to the podcast who are agreeing with you and saying, well, "I'm now, an idiot." Well, now we're on yeah, insurrection here. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on, we're now on insurrection. Yeah. We are. Paul, why don't you introduce what we're drinking today? Um, we are. We go back on the red wine because we couldn't. There's an obvious drink in no, insurrection. There isn't. Ross on the way here did suggest that we probably champagne. Uh, Troy and Riker in the bath are having bubbles. They are. Uh, they're in bubbles, having in bubbles. bubbles. And bubbles. So we oh, bubbles. Bubbles. So this they are. This all happened too late and we bought a bottle of red and it's uh, Shiraz. We should have brought the microphone into the bathroom and uh, all the satins and bubbles. <laughs> really got in the mood. We but, should, have, should have shaved, shaved Paul. <laughs> but I had already shaved so it would have been a bit rough. <laughs> so Star Trek Insurrection. So I just want to say, this came out in 1998, which was the year of duplicate movies, like dueling movies. So you had Armageddon, Deep Impact, famously, and Ants and a Bug Life. And this year, you okay. have What's Lost in Space and Insurrection. What's oh. the favourite of those, those films, then? Okay. Uh, Ants, better than Bug's Life. Yeah. I agree. Agreed. Uh, Armageddon, better than Deep Impact. Uh, yes, agreed. agreed. Yeah. Matt's going to be controversial. I uh, probably enjoy Billy Arm again, but yeah. I think Deep Impact. What do you watch films for? What? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Deep Impact? You've never watched that film again. Oh, that's <laughs> true. Like, it's like the most boring disaster movie ever made. That's the thing. Arm again is boring for long stretches as well. They're on that bloody rock for about. Arm again is very, very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, all those JJ Abrams singers. 
Like, uh, so the question yeah. is out of the dueling uh, sci-fis, is it Star Trek Insurrection or the classic Lost in Space remake? Well, I was, I've, <laughs> because I've it's going to be tight. I've seen Lost in Space on a foreign TV actually, like quite oh. very long ago. I'd never seen it before and it was terrible. So. Is it the one yeah. with Matt LeBlanc? Yeah. Yes. It was ill-fated. Well, I saw it in the cinema um, and it, I think it was the loudest cinema screening I've ever been in. <laughs> it was. Like, it was Phantom Menace that like got them to churn down films. Like They, oh, were, they, okay. they set a new limit in oh. Britain after Phantom Menace. Uh, we saw the mummy just like before it came out, and that was yeah. fucking loud. Uh, and that would have been, you know, not long after that. So I remember quite enjoying Lost in Space, but it was 1998, and my critical faculties were lower. It could have been we were all younger, and our ears hadn't been fucked yet. Like, so, <laughs> what, 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 what did you rate that in the Echo? Uh, <laughs> I didn't review it in the Echo, but at the time, I'm pretty sure I thought that was an eight. Yeah, <laughs> so okay. yeah, mm. I think it has definitely gone down, even in my head, Which just good. memory of it has uh, gone. A, I think at the time it set the record for the most special effects shots in a movie ever. I remember the special What's effects were a big deal. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. there was a scene where like Matt LeBlanc had a thing on his head, and it sort of came off like a yes. weird special yeah, yeah, helmet. Yeah, yeah, like helmet comes down. And I remember which, which it had a funky... Stargate. Yes, and it had a funky theme tune as well. And it had a space. CG character, possibly first all-CG character in a live-action movie, maybe? Mm. It was like a pet or something. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure it looked well, it's fucking terrible. Insurrection also it has, has a CG pet. Yeah, it, it does indeed. So, let's get into Insurrection. We yeah, seem so, to be avoiding so, yeah, the yeah, subject, don't we? We're avoiding it. Here, so the summary is, uh, when the crew of the Enterprise learn of a Federation conspiracy against the inhabitants of a unique planet, Captain Picard begins an open rebellion. Okay. That makes it sound more badass than maybe yeah, yeah, rebellion. Definitely. Continue. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, so, usually, we leap to Matt. Yeah, we'll go to Matt. As our most kind of non-tracking person. And, and actually, to be honest, yeah, because Ross, You've seen it, it sounds like you watched seen all the movies. Star Trek than Matt at the end of the day as a young age, whereas Matt was somehow kind of saved oh. from Star Trek. I didn't actually mention that. I actually watched Deep Space Nine. And a lot of Voyager. And is it come into like play, properly, maybe? not just half episodes? We'll actually, talk about watch that. Yeah. Actually, in a bit, I think these bits are over than this. Uh, yeah. So by the time we're here, I think it's beginning to feel a bit more by the numbers. And I, the thing I took away from it most was that it was quite a strange jump from First Contact to this, and the type of film that First Contact was to how this is. It, it's almost the polar opposite, and it's kind of a mixed bag throughout. Like I'll get into it as we go on, but. This more than any other one, I felt, was a mix of kind of tones, judging... It's like the most outwardly comical since Voyage Home, and then some really genuine good ideas in terms of story and what it does, and some of the messages it has to say, it's another really good kind of message piece. But the two halves, I felt, were in constant kind of battle throughout. And as with a lot of the kind of um, new crew ones, I found there was a lot of good moments and a lot of good standout parts. But yeah, to my to my to my mind, off the top, it didn't quite gel as well as first contact. Compared to generations, I'm not sure. I think I maybe enjoy that one more um, overall. There's a lot going on here. It's quite interesting to unpack. There certainly is a lot going on. Um, you may be interested to know that Michael Pillar, uh, who wrote the script um, for this film, when it started out he said it was to be Hearts of Darkness meets The Magnificent Seven. Uh, I'm not, not quite sure if you saw those influences well, in I, the uh, film. There was a very there was like a, a one point where they did like, the standoff against the machines, yeah, it, which are warping people. It was the naffest thing ever. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, they, they, have the stand, they have the standoff. The bees! Yeah, they have the standoff and the weird little machines yeah, are like, in front what, of them and it does the pan across to each of their faces. 
I think Data makes a weird expression. Yeah, and uh, but not only do they like look really unthreatening in the Enterprise crew, but like why would the machines suddenly stop to like yeah. you know do it? And it just it was such a weird moment. Um, but yeah, there's your Magnificent Seven. Of course, it's shaving a village from a superior yeah. force that yeah. can't defend themselves. There's that, mm. but they're not particularly going upriver. Like you know, it's just uh, the Briar Patch is kind of like something they have to navigate. Of course, isn't it? It's this. Uh, the anomaly that surrounds the planet is very difficult to pass through, particularly mm. at any speed. So, you know, there's that, but there's no kind of perils in the Briar Patch to get to the planet, is there? Well, so, no, this was, of course, Pillar's original script, which apparently did involve some Star going Trek Stardust. Up the river. Uh, is that what it was called? Yeah. Oh, okay. When you um, say going up the river. Now, uh, oh, uh, uh, did you watch. Darkness is a, is a book by Joseph Conrad, like, basically about um, sort of a colonial adventure in Africa where the. Um, this company man is sent on a mission to uh, go and find out what happened to this um, sort of colonial official who had disappeared up the river and he's apparently taken over and become, claims himself like king of a tribe. Mm. He's got all the locals kind of like working for him or something like that. But so it's like this very long boat trip. He has to get this kind of event. It gets more and more kind of episodic as he goes up. Mm. Well, I don't know, that book has been remade, almost been changed a few times. I mean, turn it up a film like Problems mm. Now is based on that too. Okay. Um, so yeah, it doesn't really fit this film at all. Yeah, I mean, it's a, as I said, that was his original script, it sounds like uh, it changed a lot um, as they went on. Um, they decided to go a lot lighter than First Contact, and I did actually, uh, I don't know if you did this, Paul, was you have the same Blu-ray box set as me, um, but I went looking at the featurettes on the box set in hopes of discovering why there was such a massive change in tone from First Contact, which has obviously mm. been very successful. And it's Freaks um, again. Yeah, it's yeah. John from Freaks directed Same both, both films. Director, yeah. um, First Contact was very successful both critically and box office-wise, so you'd think they'd want to stay the same thing. And I was thinking, why what well, no, made you change that no, massive it's, tone? It's pillar, like, is the reason it changed, because they couldn't get Brown and Braga and Randy Moore back, because they were committed to MI2. Right. And so they're working with Robert Town, who was the mystery guest writer on Crimson Tide from last week's episode. Yes. Uh, last month's episode, sorry. And um, so they weren't able to come back and write this one. And Michael Pillard liked First Night, but disliked the dark tone and four ah. He's lighting things up. So it's his sort of pushing for that. But his first scripts, I mean, not uh, for this, he was, a lot of people were rejecting them. There was a lot of revisions, and Patrick Stewart wasn't happy with it. And, um, you know, interestingly, actually, there's a link from MI2 to the next film, which okay. is hmm. Stuart Baird who is an editor and film director known for Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Uh, did he edit that too? Yeah. Pretty sure. But he directed uh, Executive Decision and US Marshals. And, uh, but he was actually paid by Paramount to fix MI2 in the edit room as okay. a favor because John Woo made an R-rated film and <laughs> they had to make it a lot less violent and, and saved the day in terms of like that. And, they, and basically they said, oh, we'll give you a free pass to direct one of the films. They said, what would you like? We've got the Star Trek film. He goes, yeah, I'll do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's a little link to that. Just handing them out. Well, that time. But yeah, no, Jonathan Frakes, I don't feel, had much input in the creative process. And what, what I'm basing this on is I read about Q. Q was actually meant to be played by John Delancey, a uh, regular feature in the show, was at the early point of pre-production, was slated to be an insurrection. Oh, OK. And, um, and, you know, he gave an interview saying, yeah, Q's going to be in it. And then by the time of shooting, it's like, yeah, Q's not in the latest version of the script I read. It's like he's just reading it. So this is what I've got to shoot today. It doesn't sound like he's really got much creative control, even though he delivered the hit. The Romulans were also meant to be the villains in this one. In fact, we get okay. it. Uh, but that was not popular with the block production team. So uh, the Sona were invented for this 
like film. Right. Right. That they're a the new villain for this big. Oh, they've never been in Star Trek. No, before, and I looked at but... to see were they using anything since this, and there was one episode of Deep Space Nine where they were mentioned. I think so. It's the only terms of their race being crossing over to any of the other no, shows. Okay. So just to set this context, Deep Space Nine now is like in its sixth season, yeah. and it's very, and it's very much getting into that like new realm of TV where it's going to be serialized, yes. huge space battles. Yeah. Like I mean, this is the, the Federation is at war with the Dominion and Cardassian alliance. So this is two, one race from another part of the galaxy are coming through the wormhole, which is Deep Space Nine's next to, and you know huge fleets of Mars, and they can shapeshift. They're placing shapeshifters in place of uh, high ranked officials between different governments and causing instability. Right. Assassinations. Uh, it's all very kind of like uh, complex and the Federation's having to sort of alliance up with the Klingons and the Romulan Empire in order just to survive and they, they have, there's a point where they're pretty much on the brink of defeat and this is the sense you get at the beginning of insurrection in the film is you know he says due to our losses against the Dominion and the Borg we need all the friends we can get so mm. it just it sounds like you know the, the Deep Space Nine is actually doing more cinematic stuff than the, yeah, this film definitely. is even attempting. And from them alluding to it at the beginning of the film, I feel like we have been shortchanged as the cinema-going audience that we're getting a, a, a B story on the big screen and not the you know not having Enterprise come in and be part of that bigger yeah. thing. Um, it, you know, it, it does feel like a bit of a sideshow. Yeah, the beginning of this film felt like that classic Star Trek thing, which is, you know, them doing their job, which is kind of, uh, you know, observing another culture. I thought that was quite an interesting thing. Mm. And the first kind of 20, 25 minutes of the first act of this movie is kind of that self-contained part of what's happening with this community and then the mystery of what's wrong with Data. And then they kind of, like, you know, solve that before even half hour well, in and then it moves yeah. on. So. Picard actually has that line, doesn't he, where he says we're diplomats now rather than explorers. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Like and that, there's part. a lot of twists yeah. there. Like, you know, I like how it looks like they're in the... The, like the community could be from the past, but it's just that they've rejected technology. I like this idea of that whole that whole concept of people who are like, oh no, actually we've got all the good stuff, but why why use that when you've got this nature around you and beautiful life? And there is a reference uh, again in this early on where Picard says uh, about Worf having to go back to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, so there's that little crossover again. <laughs> there's loads of little like single lines mm. that just like tie up things. It's just like. Oh yep, so you're back from Deep Space Nine, cool. Oh, Data well, is... Mr. Wolf, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah, <laughs> and... Have we got another movie to do? <laughs> every and time there's a movie, Wolf just turns up out of nowhere. Yeah. And just every film now just has to have one line that just explains away Data's emotion ship, seeing as they introduce it so yeah. early on. Now it's just like, has he got it on? No, all right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> also, why do you take him Like, leave it, like, his car keys, he left it here. Just like his wallet. Well, the whole Data going bad thing seems like such a good idea. Now, obviously, in the TV show, what they did, rather than having Data going full bad they introduced Law his twin brother who was like the evil one didn't they um, I mean I'm not sure if they ever explored Data going bad before apart from in First Contact where obviously there's a little flirting mm -hmm. um, with that idea but obviously at the beginning of this film you know introduced to Data he appears to have gone off the deep end and mm -hmm. uh, now be full on evil or something we're wondering what on earth is going on with Data and they kind of throw that away quite quickly. Well, no, it's, it's thrown away in the first scene because, you know, he's revealing a hidden thing and you've got to say, well, he's not, he's not killing anybody. Mm. He's just revealing. It's like, 
Davis, yeah. Davis fine. He's, he's just doing something mm. good and something's gone wrong. It's the bigger mystery of oh, of the Federation themselves. Why, the are, they going, why, why are they watching? Exactly, why are they doing it? You're never in any, any kind of. Um, you're never signing with Admiral Doughty character or another. No. Clearly, straight from the get go, you've got F. Murray Abraham chewing scenery. Uh-huh. It's like you know, oh, he's uh, he's bad. I was so distracted by that main villager, the one who's like the dad to the kid. Because mm. in the yeah. first shot you see him, he looks exactly like Dominic West. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. shot where he appears and it's the end of the titles and it has the directed by Frakes. That shot, he looks up and I was like, Brian, oh, was that Dominic West? A little cameo, no? Well, he was busy yeah. playing Royal Guard in Star Trek 1. Star Wars Episode 1. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it would have been too early, but then he comes yeah. back as a main character. I was like, oh, no. But the comedy comes in straight away in this film, doesn't it? Like, really early on. I think the first moment you realise, oh, this is going to be a far lighter film than First Contact is the bit where they're doing the diplomatic thing and uh, one of the aliens puts that thing on Picard's head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you literally see... And, and they're it, having a dance later on. Yeah, and straight away, it feels like... It's so, so odd, because that flip of tone, it it's like if you released The Dark Knight, and then instead of Dark Knight Rises, you've got Batman and Robin straight <laughs> afterwards. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, I quite like the whole like weird head thing that you that you wore because you, we well, say you oh, it's stu- some no, apparel. <laughs> we say like oh it's stupid and comical, but if that's just what they do in their in their people, why should it be funny? Do not mock yeah. their society. Exactly. <laughs> it's, more, exactly. it's more of that. Yeah, it's more yeah. of that whole like playing host to another species coming. Yeah, in. they did it with the Klingons in yeah. six, didn't they? What What I found quite funny though was the fact that like no one he like didn't seem to care, and then they're like oh they only got warp drive a year ago, and they're like oh <laughs> we just saw about them discovering warp drive. First contact yeah. in the last episode, episode film, yeah. and now in this, <laughs> and in this one, they're just like scoffing at them, like, oh, they only got it a year ago, oh, they could be our allies. I think, and then later on, when they're on the planet, um, he was like, oh, I don't care who you are, and she's like, oh, we have warp drive. He's like, you have warp drive, and next thing you know, he's just like appears to be oh, shagging her. Like, I don't know what's I going just, on. The first bit that made me laugh was when there's like a shot. Of, it's when Data's running away mm-hmm. and he's sort of not quite invisible yet, and he does a ridiculous jump over a cart. He, mm-hmm. Oh he yeah, sort of jumps and does the splits over it. It looks so <laughs> stupid. It's like, okay. it, were, were those fe- effects in the first scene with Data being invisible like really quite shitty? Oh yeah, like uh, it's uh, like it, he's wearing the uh, invisible cloak from Harry Potter one. Well, <laughs> it really was. Yeah, this this is the biggest budget Star Trek film thus far. And I don't did, see it. Did like, it look that bad? Eight million. 58 million they spent on this movie, and that's. It's creeping into I mean, that late 90s CG. By far the biggest budget as well, yeah. uh, so far in the series, and it doesn't look that great. Well, I think the, the big problem with this is that, yeah, I mean, CGI did cost more, and they had they moved to completely CGI effects. Like, mm. um, I think there's one model ship, but the Enterprise right. model from the first one has been scanned in a computer because ILM are unavailable, they are. Fully work of three years of prep for episode one. Right. They didn't have the people to, to uh, for this. So um, yeah, you've yeah. got you've got this Santa Barbara studios on that blue sky imaging, and they they are just not up to giving it the, the proper look. Well, I th- I actually think this dates better than episode one. Mm. No, I, I haven't seen episode one for a long time. No, so. I, I, the only I thought most of the effects yeah. were right. The only ones which I didn't I thought didn't look good was a little pet thing. Quite often it wasn't in the same focus as a lot of the shots. <laughs> yeah. And the big sort of collector thingy at the yeah. end in space. Well, the that, weird that, sort. They've always got a problem with sales, solar sails. Yeah. In episode two, Count Dooku's ship yes. in that is exactly oh, the same. It still looks shit three years later, like mm. four years later. So, um, but I think you know episode one age is better than the pre- other two prequels because it's a mix of model work and CG. Mm. for the most part only the battle of Naboo I think really 
looks bad. And Jar Jar Binks in general. Yeah, but Jar Jar Binks in general, yeah. But like the, the Naboo Starfighters and all this kind of stuff mm. look good. But this film, all CGI, like, you know, and it just, some of it looks good, but like, for the most part, it doesn't have that same sheen of quality that First Contact had. There's some bits in space near the beginning that are quite painterly, quite nice, like the kind of back space backgrounds that are quite mm. nice, and like the Enterprise that's quite nice going through that. Yeah. Um, but in general, it just seems, yeah, a bit showy. But I, I do agree in the sense of, I think overall, despite some of the weaknesses of the effects, the film looks nice. Like, Frakes was talking about it in one of the free threats, and he says, like, you know, I think I was more confident in my directing style on this one. I think this one looks more stylish. And I, I do get what he's saying. I do think it does have, like, you know, there, there, there's a style, there's a sheen to it. Um, it's just some of those effects don't quite stand up, you know, to today's... Yeah, I think Blu-ray looked pretty good. I yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms, in terms of special effects as well, one more thing. I, I realised when watching it, in quite an early scene, there's a scene where uh, Riker and Deanna Troyer they go into a room and they start using some computers. And there's two what are quite blatant, like olden days um, computer monitors. Like there's look like two. There's not like they've just gone to like the Dell store. Or like, <laughs> well, they don't have stores. They're only online. But no, they go and they and they get these two. Yeah, and they're well, that's blatant. Seen actually in a library in the Enterprise because <laughs> in the delete scenes it's extended and you see there's actually a librarian shushing them because they're flirting too loud oh like, okay but they, they could easily do this in the, their quarters and then <laughs> make mean... a fuck like if they wanted to. <laughs> they don't have to <laughs> go to this public place and be shushed like, the yeah. whole Riker Troy yeah. Manic subplot yeah what did you think so, about this oh, it's so cringe I was like <laughs> well, this is the director who's like you know what I'm just going to get in the bath with some candles <laughs> with this lid <laughs> oh well this yeah. is funny as well because of course did you realise that Troy and Worf had a sort of thing on the show. I think mainly, I think you, you mentioned, mentioned it last before. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, and when I saw them straight away, I was like, okay, I assume there's history there. But then it's just like, because she kisses him and says, oh, you never had a beard before when we kissed or something. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, right. I never kissed. No, no, but I thought about Troy, Troy and Wharf. Oh, Troy and Wharf. Troy and Wharf had, yeah. a, there was a sort of romantic subplot with them on the show. Oh, no, I don't think I knew that. And also a sort of romantic subplot with Riker and Troy. So I found it odd how no, this film, that he's, he's not really addressed. Well, no, he does, because he gives him his, his blessing at the end. Like, well, yeah, it's sort of way. all done a bit subtly, isn't it? Kind of, Worf looks a little bit annoyed. But, I mean, Worf's just getting constantly humiliated throughout this film, isn't it? <laughs> really? Poor Worf. He, like, yeah, but yeah. as soon as he turns out, he, like, bashes his head. Like, well, he they just sing. Slap, sing. Yeah. Like, sing, Worf, yeah. sing! Uh, well, that's, that's, I guess that's the scene with my least favourite effects, is the... Oh, is the yeah. um, the shuttlecraft like locking on and then it kind of starts spinning out of control. I didn't buy that very well. Do you know what? Actually, in contrast, I was watching it the second time I watched it. I was watching it with my friend Fraser, and when we were watching, he actually commented, "What year is this made?" And I looked, and it's 1998. And he said, "Well, the special effects are pretty good, aren't they?" In that scene. Wow, there you go. Wow, that scene prompted a look up of the date. Perhaps we're judging it far too harshly. Is is this the scene where they're going after dating? Singing, yeah. 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 Well, yes, the yeah, the sing song, and, which um, is very odd. Yeah. <laughs> which is very uh, Batman and Robin. Sing, yeah. Sing. I was gonna say like um, a great Simpsons episode with Sasha Bob and Bart distracting Sasha Bob by getting him to sing HMS Pinafore. <laughs> oh, yeah, Simpsons yeah. did it first. Yeah. I mean, it is. Straight away, some of the humour in this movie is so bizarre, and especially in contrast. I think that's the thing I can't get over. Going from the darkest film to the silliest movie just seems so mad. I can't make if someone 
fell in love with Star Trek through First Contact and went, wow, mm. what great, really serious, hardcore. It's my phone. And then went yeah. to see Insurrection. <laughs> and I remember getting so the video for this. I, think I put it on video and it was in pan and scan, um, forgive me. Uh, but like, with the scene in the ratio the show was shot, it did feel even more like an episode. It's, it's, yeah, so it's like very TV, part. isn't it? And then, not, and then as Mr. Trumbull, our previous guest, said, like, not even one of the good ones. <laughs> um, you know, it did feel overall like a feature length episode rather yes. than. Yeah, in terms of just so, the, yeah. the whole story, the tone, there was nothing grand about it. Yeah, you're you know, exactly right. What then. I said about the movies when I ranked them all in order Undiscovered Country, mm. I was going to mix up some yeah. of them and the other one with. Mm -hmm. God, I always get those two mixed up. But the one I said was good. Yes, that was like a complete movie. They yeah. go to different places. They see things. It's grand. It's like it's a film, big. It's it? a war yeah. and stuff. This was so small scale. I mean, yes, you can do character pieces yeah. and stuff, but and you can do standalone Star Trek movies without it feeling like a, a, yeah. a filler well, we, episode of the show. To hmm. beyond because I think like well we you know oh, I haven't seen that yet. I no. haven't seen that yet. But I do feel like yeah. film. That's the most recent example of like just doing a standalone yeah, Star but Trek. I think you okay. definitely would never mistake that for an episode of the show. No. Exactly. So I think this is the thing. This is almost on a, on a, a, a planet way away from Earth. We're doing a you know a specific space story and it doesn't feel quite as big as it should do. And, and I think that's a lot to do. humorous as well, yeah. See, they, they make their own, their own prop for their own back in terms of referring to things that are bigger, that are going mm. on elsewhere, right in the beginning, just to have to tie into what's on DS9 at the beginning. Mm. Uh, but yeah, um, I think Patrick Stewart had a lot more clout at this point. I think um, he, after, he, he felt he was a bit wimpy in Generations, and they... And, and he's right. And he's right. And he, they fixed it a little bit for First Contact, and he was worried that he would go back to being, like, just a bit more weak in this mm. one. Well, he's still getting his guns out. Well, he yeah. Yeah. He's going up the ladder. Yeah, he's yeah, like, like, pretty so they gave him a rebellious subplot, but they also mm. get, you know, he felt that they should go further than the Lily, like, romance, and have Arnige, like, um, in this one, like, a be more... Make that relationship a bit further. Again, that in the editing process, once and more, yeah, yeah, it does... Uh, when he's basically demanded by your star, they always feel a bit forced. The <laughs> scene where she talks about uh, being the first bald man, yeah. she's seen as if it's the sexiest thing. It's such like a. Look, I, like, I like older women. <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote down Picard, you silver tongued devil. I don't know if I'm misled. What's the whole thing about her like stopping time? Yeah, well, there was oh, like, a like, yeah. they can just live in the moment and I think it, all, all this whole thing is that it doesn't really Was that come metaphorical? Or no, 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 no. That, they basically, well this is how they show it cinematically mm. is they took high speed cameras out there and then the kiss scene which was sh shot but cut that Patrick was very unhappy that it got removed which is like I don't know if it's like, oh, audience is so turned off at a middle-aged man enjoying his sexuality. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's um, it's a, you can see on the video scene. It's a very high-speed like shot, which means it's very slow motion um, kiss of him and age, and it's the slowing of time down once again. Um, that you know that was cut, and again, so that's kind of a combination of the relationship. You know, at the end, he's like, I've got a whole year off he's got a gap year yeah. coming up and he's like I will certainly be coming back <laughs> like, um, but like, well I didn't get yeah he turns up he talks to her for a bit she can't swim which is ridiculous she, they try and they try and like they try and resolve because I was when she, when she started drowning she's like I can't swim I was like that's ridiculous like how old are you, <laughs> you, you, live, you you live right by a lake you've got nothing better to do you might as well learn how to swim and then she then later on they just sort of tried to explain it away with her just saying like oh I never got around to it like, 
And then I just like, did a bit for you to save me. Yeah. yeah. They're just like, oh, they're just like, oh, we've written ourselves into a bit of a corner. Let's just. Data's joke though is great. I like, like that. As a oh, point, it's flotation, as a point, de- de- <laughs> flotation device data. <laughs> but the thing I want to talk about, yeah, is his. It, Picard's relationship with her like mm. he meets her and they say okay yeah there's obviously a bit of flirting going on I assumed she was with the other bloke yeah and that I was and that was that, their yeah. son it's like a family unit isn't it yeah, yeah. and then you live 300 years you want to like play around yeah <laughs> and then yeah like he's like, with he her says to the and kid, then like, scene, how old are you 75 yeah yeah <laughs> like a scene later like they seem to be kind of together and he's like no. yeah and he's like trying to save her especially and in the end they're like holding like, they're, like he's like embracing her in the yeah. prison and at the end they're holding hands like interlocking fingers holding yeah. hands yeah they're like properly going out now, and it just seemed really odd. Like yeah. it just seemed to happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's a, a race that takes their time, and mm. so that, uh, that Jerry Goldsmith composed the theme for their the backing village to be very slow and melodic, just to kind of like yeah. get across that like life is a slower pace here. We take our time. It's a nice theme. Um, it's very charming. I yeah, think, I think. but the whole thing yeah. is meant to be, isn't it? That it's all having an effect on them. That it's meant to kind of your inhibitions kind of go down mm. and you just have fun to hence uh, Riker and Troy getting mm. on and uh, you know di- different effects on everyone isn't it you know they, I suppose that's how they get away with everyone acting a bit weird yeah well, yeah. I, I Wolf going through puberty yeah <laughs> when you're walking down Brighton Grand Parade and you come across the level and you just see you know, maybe a a few uh, young people, you know, with long hair, or in knots, and they're kind of wearing kind of like you know new agey clothing, and they're playing hacky sack. What do you think? You do? Do you think to yourself what incredible mental discipline? Or do you think cut your hair, me? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Deanna Troy, she can, she can, she can look into their minds. She sees the mental discipline, can't she? <laughs> At this weird Amish village, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where they appear to be. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is bizarre. Um, but yeah, there is so much bizarre behaviour well, going I was, on well, this like, film. When, when, when Picard comes back up to his uh, uh, apartment on the Enterprise, Mambo Number yeah. Five. Yeah, yeah. Mambo. More like it. I, I just think he's dancing and then he, he does a little spin around. He's supposed to look in the mirror and think, I'm looking younger. So I don't think does he, he? Gets he just touched his face very gently. Yeah, I barely got that. I think yeah. he should have had an afro. Like, he just <laughs> yeah, should have had his hair grow back. Yeah. But then later on, he's just like, oh, she's like, I never met a bald man. Or is that before that? That's after, yeah. 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 He should have got a stirrup on him. Yeah. He should have yeah. just yeah. like, he's like, right, I'm shaving that right off. He should have just like, looked into man. his pants and been like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> so going back to those people on that mm. planet, one, one other thing I wanted to say, like, stuff which just didn't make sense to me. Mm. They've been there, what, 300 and whatever years. They're clearly reproducing because there's children who are actually seven and stuff how are there still only 600 people mm. unless there were like four to start with or something yeah. like it doesn't make any sense there would be loads unless they just kind of are very kind of like keeping a lid on they don't want it to kind of burgeon up like you know, a bit they don't too want much it to get, yeah don't want it well, don't want their kind of get too big because you know when they they expel the rebels in there mm. so who later become the sonar this is a big planet. There's nobody else in it. Why don't they just send them around the corner, like right. another bit? Like yeah. you know, they could probably live around the corner. But oh. are they worried. That yeah, it's like the whole planet is that village. Yes, essentially. Yeah. That was just ridiculous. Yeah. And the village is tiny. When you see all the big wide shots of it, it's just like a courtyard and a couple of houses. I yeah. say they're yeah. killing and eating who they don't like. And another <laughs> Keep thing numbers down. about that planet. So it's a big planet, right? And the whole yeah. like space directive is we cannot. Yeah, kill the people and all that. They mm. all move them everywhere, right? Mm. What I don't really get is like, what does this? This is me going on the whole animal thing again. Like the space directive. Like once they move the people, it's okay to destroy. Like how many animals are on that planet? 
Yeah, very good point, Ross. Like you've even seen, there's like a lot of wildlife and stuff. We saw the whole uh, hummingbird type thing. The llamas, right? Like the llamas, <laughs> the llamas yeah. which carry massive rifles <laughs> with a wharf to shoot things with. <laughs> but like, yeah, um, is it okay when like does it only apply the directive? Does it only apply to people or races which look a bit human and a humanoid? Yeah, yeah. Well, is it okay to yeah. destroy a planet which could be species? Yeah, endangered mm -hmm. species only. On that planet, it's well, called we see in the planet. same movie that the people he was meeting at the start—they're not they're human yeah, right. ish but they're not human. That's what I don't quite so. get. Like, yeah, those little people in that yeah. village—they're fine, but everything else, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> this is one of the interesting things about this movie because, in amongst all this strange stuff like uh, flotation device data and Wolf getting a space STD on his face, all this stuff, <laughs> it's, it's it's an interesting thing of this number one—the society who have all this technological knowledge. Um, and advancements, but who have chosen to kind of abandon them. That whole idea is, really, you know, the whole it's just space, because space just because yeah. you just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's interesting. And then the whole thing essentially being like a refugee crisis movie. It's like how you know how do we get these people off? It seems really relevant. And there's tons of great lines. Like um, I think it's Bacardi who says both of these. You know, how many people does it take to make it wrong? Mm. And yeah. uh, it's too easy to turn mm. you back on the suffering of people you don't know. It's like whoa. Well, and then there are really lines. That's then, really true. Yeah. And then there are lines. Thing. Literally, lock and load. <laughs> Which Dana yeah. actually says at some point. Oh, it's and, that's uh, terrible. And uh, yeah. I kiss you, and you say yuck. <laughs> so it's, oh, yeah, no, I like that bit. That it's, it's almost like they've, they've got this great idea for a movie which, in the tone of anything else, could have been incredible. Mm -hmm. And they've just taken this idea and smushed it into the silliness of everything else well, that's in it's, there. It is the people of Standing Rock versus the United States government. Yeah, it's like, yeah, very true. I mean, so relevant. It really, you, you're exactly right. It really does seem really relevant. But the issue is is what um, yeah, Michael Pillar says, they wanted to aim for the tone of an episode of the TV show. And they got it. Tone. <laughs> measure, <laughs> me measure of a man, uh, which, I, which I haven't seen, I don't, I don't think. Um, but you, you are right in the sense of, you know, it, it seems like a TV episode, well, but that, that seems what they were aiming that for. That is a courtroom drama episode right. where Picard defends Data's right to be a, 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 a classed as a living being because the Federation Science Department wanted to dissection him and take him offline to study him and how he's made. Right. So Picard's saying, no, you can't do that, he's a member of my crew. And Riker is chosen by the Federation to be the, um, you know, the on the other side of the thing. Yeah. So Picard's defence, he's the prosecutor. Oh, okay. And it's like a real conflict between the two characters. I mean, he's having to do it. He's forced mm -hmm. to prosecute the case against, you know, against Data Living, and it's it's a tough episode. He says, it, I looked up, and it seems to be considered one of the first great episodes of Next Generation. Yeah. Do you see, mate, you've seen it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you see much similarities with Insurrection? Do you see um, why I that might inspired it? Uh, yeah, I think it's getting back to kind of like put a, a big message in there and you know make it make it around that. Yeah, but it's, it's not really. It, it doesn't sound very funny from what you're, <laughs> from what you're, from what you're saying. And obviously uh, for this, they were able no, to have a lot of comedy. No, absolutely not. <laughs> because you know, I assumed it was like, oh, we did this really hilarious comedy episode, and now we want to recreate that for the big screen. Absolutely nothing about. Right, okay, <laughs> so more, I say, yeah, like you say, more perhaps the political message. Yeah. Um, I mean, Pillar also said he wanted to do this one for Gene. Um, well, because know. Gene always wanted to do the Fountain of Youth story. Like, right. that had been one of his ideas for a film uh, from the very first word go. And, you know, um, so I think, basically, I think Shatner kind of ran with it a little bit, and it, it was one of his ideas for Five, and then it kind of just got turned into the search for God. Um, so yeah, it's been hovering around making a film at the Fountain of Youth for a while, and then 
And also the Prime, it's about the Prime Directive, this film. It's very much about the Prime Directive and maybe he wanted to get back to that after the kind of extreme violence. Well, they could have, done a, could have done a Blade Runner and had it like the Prime Directive like thing, right, at the beginning of, you know, have it like written out, just sort of, you know, how they have the mm. definition of yeah, 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 yeah. beginning and that could have been a way of just introducing it to a whole audience, just like, this is what we're fighting for, you know, to protect this ideal. You know, yeah, because the Prime Directive is still nobody's nailed it down and sort of like he quoted what it is. That's very true. That's very true, actually. And when you're watching this, certainly if you're a new audience member, you know, if you watch this as your only Star Trek film, I think they keep banging on about the Prime Directive, and I think you would be probably a little bit lost in terms of well, what is the Prime Directive? What's the what's the issue? Why are you arguing? What's the problem? Um, I mean, it shares quite a lot of similar themes with previous films. I found in the Undiscovered Country, a corruption in mm -hmm. Starfleet, um, and also Search for Spock. They kind of refer to they, they refer to like the classic line in Search for Spock about the um, the needs of the many. Uh, outweigh the few at some point, don't they? Mm. Or like all the yeah. other way round, the way that Kirk, it both, Kirk gets yeah. it the wrong way round, doesn't he? At the end of Search of Spock. Well, yeah. No, it's, 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 um, Spock's mum like says it back to Spock and just like these guys. They, the reason they acted so strangely was because they felt you were more important than them, all of them. <laughs> then, uh, you know, than your son, than your ship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you lost everything. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we were talking about the singing earlier, and you mentioned Sideshow Bob. Well, that's funny because I did literally think of Frasier when we're, when I was watching that. Yeah. Uh, it it seemed bizarre to me. I mean, Patrick Stewart gives a look that says he can't believe what he's about to do before he starts singing, <laughs> and it, it does. It, there's been comedy up until that point, mm -hmm. but I think that's the moment where you go, "Oh, okay." This is what this film is going to be. I, I was so disappointed about that when I watched this the first time, and I, I still remain a little bit disappointed today. Like, uh, why do they install karaoke machines on the shelves? Yeah, it, also the way it comes up on that screen, I was expecting the Mickey Mouse ears to come yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> bouncing ball. It, yeah. it, I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> sing along with Captain Picard. Shouldn't you keep your eyes on the road, <laughs> looking at like, the words? Yeah, um, I, yeah. Once they get him back on the ship, it's all data. It's like we, well, you're walking from engineering. It's a walk and talk. It's the Aaron Sorkin and the Price seat of uh, Picard and La Forge, and they wander over to this cupboard and open the door. It's data's like in there. It's like it's, where did it? What was this cupboard doing? It's like the data cupboard. Just like <laughs> Sorkin. Not thank you for comparing his work with this script. <laughs> I, love, I love how they've gone one step further again to getting the forge further away from his crappy visor. Now it's yeah. like, oh, now you're regenerating and your eyes are fine, Which so you don't have to wear anything. One of the strongest scenes in the film was like seeing him seen like, sunrise. Yeah, it's quite moving. Well, you do, do you, feel sorry for him. It's really weird how quickly all of them are like healing and stuff. Like his eyes are better. Warp is already going through puberty. Mm -hmm. It's all very good. And yet these other people, apparently, they've got to be there ten years for anything to happen. That's a good point. They said it's, it seems a bit odd. I mean, but then again, even if they are on the planet, I don't know like, how they're going to undo the whole like stapling of the skin and all mm. that, yeah. like facelift. Is it once they're that far, it takes a bit of a while to fix. Mm. Yeah. Did Did you not think that seemed like a bit of a plastic surgery satire at that point? Because yeah. obviously, nineties, you're talking like height of plastic surgery being yeah. like boom. Like, it's yeah. got, it got to be, isn't it? And even when I like, use the bit when he got really stressed, and he's like, ah, oh! and like his like, uh, and his forehead like popped. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh my god, his skin must be so weak. And then later on, he has a fight with like with, with the other guy. Yes. 
he, he could barely have to stroke his face and he'd like rip his face in two, judging by that, and yet he gets battered by him. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to ask you about this, Paul, because you tend to know about this sort of stuff. In, Classic Cedric. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In that scene where he has the fight and then he shoves the corrupt Starfleet yeah. officer and it kind of stretches his face out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, in my memory from seeing that at the cinema, that was a far more, uh, not gory, but kind of like, far more, it seemed far more extreme. Is that just my memory, memory or they, yeah, they yeah. toned it down for no, the DVD? No, no. It's, 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 yeah, I, I always, I can again remember it being longer, but it's always been that length. But is it, even the effect, like, I remember it being a proper body roll, like pulling yeah. his face apart. I think, like, yeah. I why think does they, it kill why him? Why didn't they do it? Like, they should have done it. They should have gone a bit further with it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it looks a bit silly. Yeah, but it only gets a bit hard where you get the oppression, but it just like, but then it cuts to the wide shot and it just, you just it's just like, out. Well, why is it a beauty treatment for one guy and it kills another? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because you haven't got these lovely ladies doing it for you. And uh, to press stop. And I guess on, uh, yeah, I guess on the special effects it looked a bit weird as well because you know it's meant to be his skin and his eye you could see sort of stretching a bit as well. It's all, it's yeah, all very yeah, odd. It's very, and very odd. That actor, it's the same guy that got stretched and blown up in yeah, License to Kill. Oh, yeah. oh, so no. he's no stranger to being Type expanded and a yeah. stretchy man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was also Stretch I mean, Armstrong starring this guy. Anthony Zerbe, like yeah, he's a wonderful character. He would always recognise him by his voice. He was in Papillon uh, opposite Steve McQueen. Does he always play? And he was playing a leper in that under amazing <laughs> makeup, but oh. you knew it was him because of his voice. Uh, he's recently seen the American Hustle. Is he usually oh. a shifty character, isn't he? Always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He got a strange sort of mono eyebrow lift. He always sort of does. <laughs> oh, yeah, his drawl is good. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about your favourite crusher, uh, favorite. Ross. She has nothing to do in this film. I swear, her only line is the bit where she's talking about her boobs with Troy. Oh yeah, haven't you noticed they got firmer? <laughs> yeah. She literally has nothing to do with this movie. The poor woman. I, like, yeah. I think she's been really badly so Only the first time she had a little bit to do. Well, yeah. It's yeah. literally a storyline where everyone's getting healthier, so you don't need a doctor. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's. It's the like, whole oh, point fuck with me to do. Well, she just, she just said Sonar declined to be scanned. That was another thing that sort of, you know, fair. <laughs> why would you have to shoehorn a doctor in? Like, why not? If she's not relevant, just why does she have to be... Because she's part of the crew. And I'll they... be in the mid uh, It's already ridiculous enough that whenever they beam down, they always beam down the same people who have no business being there. Like, <laughs> like there's a whole lot of crew, and instead we're beaming down the doctor, the counselor. Yeah, LaVorne's like, like, yeah, yeah, shouldn't yeah, you be in the issue? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> the ship just it flies makes... out of the sky and blows up. It already makes no sense. So why are we trying to shoehorn them into the film? <laughs> it's just like, wait, we've just come down with the pilot as far as, oh, as, far as I'm concerned yeah. yeah just send down Mr. Wharf and then sort it out the, the bit at the end when uh, he gets an action moment doesn't he, he when well yeah, well yeah when Picard goes to do the final fight against him I was like why didn't Wharf go over there he's clearly harder like, he could beat him up <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, but then of course then Wharf was left and then Wharf was like fighting eight people so it's probably a good thing he didn't go <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was just the alternate version where Picard takes behind and like, he just gets beaten up by the first guy going through the door yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Riker's big action moment oh, Riker's... we're running from these bastards oh Riker's a legend yeah no I mean that yeah. is the high point of the film surely the action mm. sequence with yeah I would say actually the CGI stands up there. I mm. like the space battle, um, and I like the, um, the the effect of the Enterprise being like you know it's, it's got smoke coming from it, yeah. and you know um, you know you kind of it's an interesting twist on the space battle because they're doing something different with like you know the ship, you know having to kind of collect 
you know, uh, explosive essentially, mm. you know, mm. and, and use parts of the ship to kind of fight. I feel like it's a bit different on those fine torpedoes as normal. And talking about Geordie's vision, there's a very funny moment where there's an explosion hits the ship and Geordie kind of goes flying. He lands into this woman and he uses her to steady himself. Mm. And it's like, oh, losing his vision again. <laughs> <laughs> the, um... The whole like space battle thing in Star Trek, like there's many notes I made, and when watching all the films and the TV show, like they should have really sort out the whole like gas leak thing. Like <laughs> yeah. whenever they get hit by anything, yeah. there's always this gas weird, weird white gas just flying out, and it's like oh my god! And they repair it by pressing a few buttons every time. And then the other thing is, why don't they install seatbelts on any of the chairs? Yeah. Like whenever there's an explosion, they go flying. <laughs> they just go, go flying through the bridge, and then they're trying to crawl back to the cat to the panel to do something. Yeah. Like if you just had a simple seatbelt, they're invented like quite early on. That they're around now. Um, they could wear them, and they just. Be in their seat. Okay, great. I've been shot. Now I can shoot back. I don't have to like run back across the bridge and like hit the button. Like, it's, it's, it's a running joke of Star Trek that the seatbelt thing. Uh, and um, they do put them in the new Avens verse, don't they? And there was um, the alternate ending of Nemesis shows like Captain Carfine gets a seatbelt, and uh, it's quite. It was an amusing moment for the end of that, but they just never really acknowledge it. Um, mm. What do we think about the relationship between Data and the child? My last memory is going into the hills following some children. <laughs> Well, it's funny. My um, one of my housemates came back when I was watching it, and it was just it was just it's like funny watching porn. It was well, it, it was just she sat Robot's child. She, she sat down and said, "Right, catch me up." And I was like, well, "I'm not going to try." But it was literally the scene when he pops out of the hay bale at the oh, end, yeah, and yeah. You're, you're having fun. And I just yeah. let that play about saying a thing. And to her eyes, it was just like. Right, come on, crew, we have to go. And then, like, this robot comes out of a with a boy who <laughs> Android Pino. And I was like, they're having, they're just playing, they're having fun. He's teaching him how to do it. <laughs> oh, he's teaching you how to do it. Fully <laughs> <laughs> <Probably> functional. <laughs> he knows many techniques. Well, I mean, that, we, we, were, we, were, we, were, we were discussing that really that kid is about 70 years old, so it's not Peter Pino, it's fine. <laughs> he's probably older than Dave. He says, like, I'm seven or something. He's 12, he says, like, he's, he's actually 12. 12. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. it's legal then. <laughs> in the fourth quadrant. <laughs> yeah. It's all, yeah. I don't know, I don't see much of an issue with the data child thing. I see uh, more of an issue just... with the child and the little animal. Like, it was rubbish, thing, isn't like... it? Well, no, it There's some like... nice ideas in there, the whole, when yeah. he's, he's saying, like, well, you know, he's scared of him because being he was a child. Bad, yeah. yeah, and how you've never experienced, like, um, growing up. Yeah. And it's one you don't trip up your own feet. Like, yeah. I thought that was quite nice. Such a buzzkill, Liam. Too mean about data with the kids. Just have a whole spin off. I would have said that in generations, I found Data extremely annoying. Oh yeah, he is and I just yeah, yeah, yeah wish he'd go away. First contact, he was good. And in this, I actually really like Data as yeah, well. Yeah, no, he's pulled it back, and I think yeah. you know by this point, like he's uh, more recognisable. Uh, he's like definitely second recognisable as a, a, to the major you know, outside audience. Then you know, nobody's going to put Riker on the poster, so. Data is on the poster. <laughs> Poor Riker. And like, and Even though he's directing, nobody puts Riker on the poster. Well, yeah, he's in small print at the bottom, directed by John Favreau. And yeah, do we like his clean-shaved look? Oh, no. oh what, Riker? Riker. Oh, smooth as uh, Andrew's bottom. And then, and then, and then Data feels his face. Really now, surely Data feeling his face when even Data can't feel because we've already established that he can't feel. Because, no, no, until he had the skin graft. Because no, because in the um, in first contact, he puts his hand on the ship and he says, "I detect like minor imperfections in the." Mm. Oh, okay. So he's detecting oh, so he had, imperfections yeah. in yeah, like his face, yeah. <laughs> and he goes in this weird like look and goes like, 
Oh no, it's not. It's, 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 it's not a smooth. Yeah. Uh, no, I think Riker should always have a beard. His beard yeah. is badass. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Uh, Which is what he needed to say to make look better when he says running from these bastards. Like, uh, because yeah, he, he does look so awkward saying that line, in my opinion. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I always, thought, oh. I always find he doesn't deliver with the gusto it needed, and I think oh. a bearded Riker could do it. God, that's a running thing. None of these people can say these badass lines of gusto. Yeah, simulate this. Simulate this. Yeah. Lock and load. <laughs> The, um, what do you think of the actual villain race and things? Like, how long have they meant to have been around? 100 years, isn't it? Yeah. So why have they got ships which are capable of fighting the Enterprise? Well, because the, the Baku have a, a technology to begin with anyway. And so they would have taken that knowledge with them. And mm. then over the next 100 years, they, they basically... Uh, there's a lot of backstory um, that they, would, they, they cover a little bit in the library scene. Um, but they've kind of conquered other races. They've been very bad. Oh, in the okay. Last years. They've been slavers, right. and they've kind of been. But the kind of thing is, they put themselves in a position now. They have this technology which they has put them in a very good, strong mm. bargaining ship. So the Federation have to kind of make friends with them okay. in order to get their hands on it as well. So it's just a you know a marriage of convenience for the Federation. What I thought, what I saw, like is in first contact. You saw at the beginning when they're fighting the cube. You saw that the Enterprise is pretty badass and it's pretty cool. Like when it swooped in in front of the warship, that shot was great. Yeah, you yeah, thought yeah. like, wow, the Enterprise. Is huge, the Enterprise is a proper powerful ship, and then you got this race which seemed fairly new. And they're like, oh, yeah, they, they got these ships. You think, yeah, Enterprise just do it, yeah. but then like they're running away. Like, oh, are you well, doing? I think it's like um, they mentioned a few times that they're using banned space weapons, yes. You know, it seems like the Enterprise are banned for using their quantum torpedoes from the last time because they would have taken them out in one shot, but you know, they mm. seem to have forgotten to use that uh, this time. And if they go, if something goes wrong, they can just time travel back in time and sort it out, can't they? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's easily done. But yeah. do we not think that the twist of them being like this rebellion faction of the same people kind of destroyed the overall kind of colonization type element of it, that it kind of just seemed like, oh, well, that, that's a twist. But now this seems like a very different thing. But I think it could, it, it, but it still made its point in the first. Yeah, half yeah, yeah. That's one thing, and you know, and then it kind of just adds another layer of intrigue that it's a blood feud, that kind of thing. I think yeah. without the blood feud thing, the blood feud thing does answer a few questions. Mm. I think, like, oh um, yeah, I was asking some questions that yeah, why don't they just go to another part of the world? Why don't yeah, why do they even care? Like, why don't they get the rings? There's the, the, the a whole lot of questions. When they said oh, it was a blood feud, it sort of answered a lot of things as to why they're actually doing what they're doing. That's all I'm going to say. But the of the holoship. That scene where they discover it, mm. interesting, good mm. stuff. But then they have this random, which is clearly, I don't know if it's added after the fact, but it's like a little action sequence where yes. one guy, who's definitely Sona, oh, yeah. stays behind to fire at them, and they kill him, and they don't go over and check the body, they don't scan him, they go over and, well, of course they save the drowning mm. woman, but surely that's ammunition to go back to F. Murray Abraham, and they never bring it up with him and just say, one of your people tried to kill us. Mm. Blind, he blindsided them, basically. Uh, but that doesn't. It feels. That's why it feels like a, an added action. We need to soup this up a bit mm, because yeah. I think when it goes, I can't see his body as well when they turn off the holodeck. You know, surely when it goes black, you should mm. see this crumpled body at the back there, like on the floor. Maybe, yeah, maybe they could have done it, like shot him and accidentally vaporized him or something. At least that yeah. would have made sense. Yeah, that would have you could explained have, it away. Yeah, because you couldn't like then. Um, well, he could have like vaporized. Oh, that would have been like, dark. Save uh, yeah, information. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would have been. Hello, Wrath of Khan. Is it Wrath of Khan? Yeah. And the guy's like, ah, oh, I'm vaporizing himself. <laughs> like, that's hardcore. Yeah. Paul, the, you're usually on the, the score. I can't say I noticed it that much in this one. Very oh, cheerful, I, wasn't no, it? I like it, this film. I mean, it's, it's bringing in... Who did uh, it? Jerry Gosmith. Okay. <laughs> uh, of course I like it. <laughs> uh, but the, um, yeah, no, the, as I mentioned before, the pastoral kind of theme, very kind of like slow and melodic. But then the action sequences, he's definitely in his later stage of using a bit more electronics. I mean, he kind of flirted with trying to the 70s. 
70s of Logan's Run and various films in the 80s, but this is him kind of like really mixing synthesizer and, and orchestra. Uh, and um, I think in Space Battle there's, there's a lot of that, I really like it. So his action cues are, are pretty good in this film, and it also contains the best rendition of the next generation or the well, motion picture theme actually in the credits oh, okay. for me. I really noticed that. The, the final bit. I was oh it's like the next generation. When, when the credits it's a nice like, final oh. shot, isn't it? Nice like, final shot, yeah. but then it's mm. like it goes back to the back of him and then the final last bit where it pays out is the in my for my money the best orchestration of it. Because it's a little bit faster. Which, which Star Trek, slight tangent, which Star Trek theme do you like the best? This one. As in, from the TV shows. Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, or Voyager? What about original series? I nah, forget that. Enterprise? <laughs> it's been a long <laughs> <laughs> Forget that. So, <laughs> the three main, cinema, no, the same era ones, because they're quite comparable. Like you know what? The Voyager one's are really good, isn't it? Voyager is Jerry Gosman. You actually played it on our radio show, The Bucket. Yeah. Like, oh, remember. good idea. And, yeah. uh, I was like, oh, this is great, because I was never a fan of Voyager, but it's, it's really good. Theme, it's a great theme. Yeah, excellent addition. Yeah. And he won an Emmy for it, I think, as well. And Deep Space Nine, I think, is pretty good as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the guy who composed the score for Generations, Des McCarthy, I think. And the TNG one is good, but it is just the theme from the films. But it's it? almost like you know, you they deliberately toned it down in terms of like the orchestra is smaller for right. a TV orchestra. But it's like if you've already got a recording of this that with a full orchestra, why don't yeah, you just add that. a bit more cinematic pizzazz to the thing? It always feels a bit more, I don't know, midi-fied, you know, like mm. old style computer. Like, Olden uh, days TVs couldn't hack it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just yeah, explode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so like 8-bit remix, you know, you sort yeah. of get the 8-bit trailers, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Now. That's kind of like what I feel that, that theme <laughs> is. Uh, the TV version of that theme is like the 8-bit version. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that one, but the more glorified movie version. Yeah. Um, but I do like that Voyager theme. It's mm. really, really good. Uh, Apologies for taking us off track. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more. Yeah, we can always cut it later. Uh, F. Murray Abraham uh, said that if he only had to do Trek movies for his whole career after this, he'd be very happy. Oh, he yeah. must have had a good time. Um, well, we now, so we where the, now we know where the budget went. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, sonar return appearances in every Trek film after this, would we be up for well, no, he could be, he could be uh, unmakeup. That, that's true, that's says, true. I can really choose scenery when I'm in makeup. So, who, who is this? F. Murray Abraham, he's the Academy Award winning actor from Amadeus. Played Salieri, Mozart's uh, nemesis in that film. Um, you may have all seen Scarface. Yeah. Yeah, he was a drug, a low level drug dealer. He was like the number two for the first mob boss that Tony. Um, What's his name? Tony Scarface? <laughs> Tony Montana. <laughs> Tony Montana. Uh, yeah. Tony Scarface. <laughs> Mr. Scarface, please. But who did he play in this film, Paul? That's the main, that's the reference I'm going to know. Who did he play in this film? Who did he play? Oh, oh Ruafo. Who's Ruafo? The bad, the main bad. Oh, Mr. Oh, stretchy face man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good old stretchy face man. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's how I know him, stretchy face man. Wise yeah. man and stretchy face man. Yeah. Yeah. Stretchy face, the stretchy face man and stretchy face man's uh, sidekick, who, the greatest line of dialogue I think in this one is when stretchy face man's sidekick is in the lift with Picard, and Picard's giving him this whole lecture, and then he just goes, you offend me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a great so line. Did he 
actually already make his mind up to join Picard before Look the lecture. Like because it's almost like he gets in there, he's, he's, his head's already down, mm. and then Picard just like kicks him in his down, just like, you know, you fucking coward. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, Dude, I was about to join you, but now I'm just going to let you die, all right? Like, Fuck you, Picard. <laughs> and we've already seen, like I said, about the whole stretchy face thing that's all really weak and stuff. Yeah, he's got a phaser on him, but he could probably just knock that out of the way and punch <laughs> him in the face, and his face would probably cave in. So, like, we could have That's escaped. a quick ending to the film. You are really, really angry that that guy got battered in that scene aren't you it's just ridiculous <laughs> I mean, and I don't know like and in terms of I mean as, as a martial artist and someone I would have battered him someone who knows about fighting as a I trained killer probably, yeah, as a trained really... killer I don't understand when they have the fight he throws him off the the rail yeah, and then he yeah. grabs him and sits his head into the uh, the what is it? The thing with the, the glass cabinet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why doesn't he just then like throw, like rub his neck against the side of the glass if he's really trying to kill him? Like it's shards of glass. Instead, he's like, I'm going to put you because on here. Because we all know movie glass I'm is strap made you of in here, <laughs> and I'm going to give you an overly dramatic skin stretching. Well, I'm going to give you a beauty treatment. Well, because the in Robocop two, one of the things that was cut out was uh, Robocop pushing somebody's face and rubbing it in glass. So <laughs> I think in the sense board we're like, you know, not happy with No that. more of that, please. Well, yeah, this is like freaking PG, isn't it? Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, so uh, I think, um, you know, that was the stretching, because he did say, oh, why don't you sit down, Admiral? The girl will take 20 years off your face. Yeah. He's already kind of just said, it's like, well, I'm going to kill you this way now. Oh, foreshadowing. Yeah, there you go. Um, did we notice in the cave sequence, this mm. is when the uh, Enterprise crew and the Arnold the Baku refugees are stuck in a cave, mm. but you have like the bit where Anij and Picard are trapped behind a and um, <laughs> but Troy says there's 20 tons of rock between us and them and then immediately just raises a phaser and then Warp has to stop and goes no you can all clave in and it just she looks so like possessed when she says that line and just like raises a phaser up and she's like she's just going to go shoot at the floor <laughs> and uh, yeah so if you watch it again look out for that um. one thing before we finish I just want to comment on is the script <laughs> 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 Did not, it was really weak in terms of the structure of it and the way it was done everything was overly signposted when they say like oh here they are it looks like they're going to try and take us this type of thing and then the other side's <laughs> like we're going to take them that's that's more TV than just movies yeah, everything that's ha- going to happen is overly explained well, this is the thing There's it's no... one of the, the best TV writers from the show is come on to do this film and uh. it's not that a lot of old bad habits maybe have come mm. with them it didn't give us it any didn't, yeah. it didn't it made us seem like we were all stupid when we were watching it and it yeah, it didn't give us any credit. Well, Ross, I, I feel that I should tell you this for some context. Um, you see what a bad person you are. Michael Piller, um, who was talking about this uh, script in one of the featurettes, and I've got to say, when he's talking about it, it, you can hear his voice keep sounding like it's breaking when he's talking about the fact that his original script got kind of thrown away. And he sounds really in love with his original script idea, which was the Hearts of Darkness meets Magnificent Seven thing, them going up the river, and it ended up changing and changing into something very, very different. And he he does seem really regretful of that. Um, And disappointed with what they actually came out with. I feel sorry for the fact that it was changed and maybe it did used to be good. I, I think there's something missing there in terms of like the, the journey up river. I think that could have been good. Yeah, I feel sorry. Like, it made me feel sorry I think you want a, you know, you want a journey for this crew to go on. Mm. And I think like they get to the planet very early on and it's sort of, there's no kind of a big reveal of that. It's, 
it's it's so quiet. It kind of it is quiet, quiet. Yeah, exactly it right, kind yeah. of starts too late. Like it's kind of thrown into a you know, there's no real build up. It's just stuff happens and then stuff gets resolved to a point. It's like a very much like an end of a part mm. one of a and ad break, you know. And, and F. Murray is all the boo hiss of them from the get go. Every scene he shares with Stuart are by the view screen, that kind of thing. He's antagonistic from the start. Mm. Like he's like, your androids turn dangerously violent because <laughs> it's like that's the first thing he says. And it's just like there's no kind of like him sort of treating Picard with some kind of respect. If he's, yeah, he's got the ear of admiralty. You know, and there's a scene where he convinces him to send ships after Picard, or after Riker. You know, there's no kind of him trying the, you know, the tactical move of him first. Mm. He's like being a dick from the beginning. You know, they really don't get a chance to actually kind of size each other up properly until they're in the, the you know, Picard's already a prisoner and then the film's almost over, so, yeah. Before we move on to scores, just a few stats for this film. Obviously I mentioned it before, it was the highest budget Star Trek film yet at this time, 58 million uh, budget. Um, it only made 112.6 million at the box office worldwide, which isn't even double the budget. So, you know, with marketing and stuff, potentially didn't even break even. It's not very good, is it? In terms of a comeback, obviously they did Nemesis. Well, I guess we're uh, yeah we're nearing the death of this kind of yeah run, aren't we? So and that kind of makes sense in terms of that's not a great comeback. I was quite shocked when mm, I saw yeah. that because you would have thought a lot of people probably would have seen First Contact. And yeah, thought, yeah, right. I'm going to go see another one. Yeah, you would have yeah, thought, exactly. wouldn't you? Well, I, I you know trailer watch like for mm. this again. Does that put just, you off? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think the trailer is going to is, is going to excite anybody either. Like it's. Uh, the best effect in the trailer is this amazing pullback from the Paramount logo as it comes over the mountains and then it reveals the village below, mm. below it, which okay. isn't in the film. I mean, that would have been a good opening shot. Like, you know, uh, pretty much like, you know, Raiders yeah, energy yeah. kind of thing. I bloody love incorporating studio logos into stuff. Yeah, like, you, so. All the Universal ones can do it great and Paramount right. needs to do more. Like DreamWorks find is really easy to do it with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. you know, that was the, the I can't wait, more impressed by the logo than the film <laughs> in the trailer for this and that's why it made 100 well, <laughs> well, see, the poster, like, I, going in before this film, I knew really nothing about this one mm. at all, except the poster. The poster looks pretty badass and scary because it's like the face in space again. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's very similar to Undiscovered Country. Yeah, and you, yeah, it similar, is. And you yeah. can't quite tell what race the face is if you kind of know. Yeah. And so when yeah. these guys show up, the Battle of like, Paradise has begun. So, you know, it's yeah. quite big, big stakes, but yeah. it doesn't feel like they're big stakes. In from what I remember about the trailer, from when I was younger, yeah. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking it looks quite scary or quite because the guys are the stretch faces did look yeah, quite yeah, true. they looked quite menacing and when I watched the film I was really surprised at how lame they were yeah it's just like an extra from Nip Tuck or something it's like well, I, yeah they look like oh these guys are going to be pretty badass yeah, it's, it's gonna just be pretty... like some social, you know heiress who's like 90 on, on Park Avenue is like mm. become the villain of this film it's like what's that giant face from Doctor Who which is just oh the face of Bo yeah it's like a mini one of them put on a body <laughs> uh, it just demonstrates how much I know about uh, put, put it on the spot Doctor there, there, there you go final, final, final note for me yep. there was a deleted scene at the ending which was Quark so this is the one oh. Deep Space Nine like crossover was like they had intended to have well there's I don't, I've never seen confirmed there's a rumour that uh, Avery Brooks was going to cameo in First Contact giving Worf his orders to go intercept the Borg at the beginning never seen any evidence of that but 
in this film you had Quark like selling timeshares on the planet at the end. So, oh wow! Yeah, oh. Um, yeah. So that's that, a shame that wasn't in there. Quark, I love Quark. Yeah, it's just like we've just you just defended you against like huh? colonial aggressors. Now we're going to actually like market you know, sell off your <laughs> your planet. <laughs> you know, does Matt know who Quark is? I do not. No, you won't. He's well, you'll you'll eventually He's... get him at some point. He's not in any of the movies though, is he? Uh, well. In future episodes, perhaps oh. we will explore. But Quark is a beloved character from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, indeed. So you, Profit. You, you, you'll get to meet him eventually. He's a Ferengi, uh, which I believe Steve, uh, one of our previous guests, talked about quite a lot. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, shall we do scores for yeah. our wrap up? Okay. Uh, do you want to start, Paul? Yeah, I'll give this a four. And how do you justify this? A four, because I, I feel like coming off the first contact, this is a real missed opportunity to like you know um provide you know it just doesn't feel cinematic enough for me it definitely it you know deserves a reputation as the tv movie of the next gen films um i don't feel like it's given the respect it deserves in terms of like uh the, the production value like you know from i don't know if it's paramount i mean they seem they've given it enough money but it doesn't have it been spent in the right areas um, so there's a lot of weaknesses in the script, and but whilst you know I really like the idea, and it's been nice to see the characters and you know a kind of it's almost like a bonus episode of the show. Almost it feels like Serenity, like you know we almost if Serenity's good though. Yeah, I was about to say. If we you know Serenity I thought has, Serenity was shit. Okay, get out. Serenity was good. Sorry. It was just, you know, it felt like this is great. It's for the fans as well. We've got to, if this is like the only next gen movie, you know, they, they, and they had to scrabble up a Kickstarter to get it, this would be happy. This is the Veronica mm. Mars of the uh, Star Trek uh, universe. That's all I have to say. Ross. <laughs> uh, let me quickly, I just wrote, I wrote down the score. Let me double okay. check. Just, just, okay, I'll talk about Serenity later. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Insurrection, I've given it 5.9 out of 10. Okay. I was going to give it a similar score to Generations. But Generations had Kirk, and that was quite fun. So that got point one more than this. I thought it just felt like a TV episode. Um, it's tempting to give it a worse score than that because it comes after First Contact, yeah, which yeah. I That's love. What I'm thinking as well. It, yeah. So it's, I think it will be it will be easy to overly criticise it because of that. So in my mind. Mm -hmm. I've decided that 5.9 is harsh enough. I actually enjoyed it more the second time. Mm. It's a good sit down and relax Sunday afternoon movie. Uh, yeah, see, I'm looking back through my past scores now. I'm trying to work out if I've gone too high or low in terms of averaging because I, was, I wanted to give this a really low score, but I didn't want to put it below a couple films. And even uh, other than Search for Spot, which got 4.4 from me, nothing else has gone below like a six. But I, I want to make clear, they're, they're the ones I do not feel are that good. But I've, everything seems to be averaging up. But anyway, so I'm going to give it 6.3 out of 10, which um, is low for me. And, you know, I'm feeling a lot of these films out for the first time, so I may reevaluate when we get to the whole whole ranking. But yeah, this oh. just overall, this just felt like too much of a strange mix between good ideas wasted in a very silly tone. Mm. But some of the humour works, and I'm like, oh, I can appreciate that, but other parts of me are like it shouldn't be in this movie um, yeah, yeah. Can, can I just see what I, I rate this higher than Final Frontier so I, I, want, I want to know what works give a Final Frontier and give it more than that see I, I rank this higher than Spock and the motion picture just you about. thought Final Frontier was better than that yeah oh yeah loads better yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um, we'll move on to uh, myself and I've got to say 
uh, I do enjoy this movie, um, and I uh, I understand the fact that compared to First Contact, it does seem like quite a major step down. However, I feel like I've got to evaluate it on its own terms, um, separately from First Contact. Uh, I do think it's the weakest chapter since Motion Picture, um, but I still find it a lot more enjoyable than Motion Picture. Like Matt says, I, I think some of the humour actually genuinely works. Um, it is odd, but it is often quite funny you know Picard doing the Mambo is funny uh, and, inte and intentionally yeah, as a meme like but no I, I think it is and in intentionally so the, the thing with me is although the humour is suddenly a bit odd and a bit jarring it's clearly meant to be lighter and some of the humour is really funny some of it is just embarrassing um, but there is enjoyable stuff to be had there's some good kind of like uh, funny little performances the, the cast seem to be having fun I do think in general despite some of the poor CG the film looks quite stylish um, I like the big action sequence with Riker uh, you know it passes the time in enjoyable fashion I'm going to give it a 6.9 Wow, pretty high. So there you go. Um, yeah, I think so far, in general, uh, motion picture aside, the the scores have been pretty good. I, I've been enjoying going through these movies. So we'll have to see if Nemesis keeps it up. Yeah. Okay. So next time we're going to 2002 Star Trek Nemesis, which would represent the biggest gap of time between Star Trek films. More on that later. Um, so yeah, just to wrap up today, Ross, would you like to just remind us again what your website is so we can check out your clothing range? Yeah, it's um, agesapparel.com. I just want to slide in that any views uh, shared on, on this podcast, not views of Ages Apparel. Ages Apparel hates The views of uh, myself personally. <laughs> yeah. Apart from the bit where I said about... Does, does your brother like such right? Um, no, he doesn't really know anything about it. He's seen it like bits and bobs, mm -hmm. but not so He's much. He's perfect for the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and can our dedicated listeners get any special discount at the uh, website <laughs> well if you sign up to our mailing list then we'll uh, message you through a discount code to get 10% oh, off of your okay. first order lovely jubbly uh, excellent um, as for us you can find us at Instagram Facebook Twitter um, we're available at Twitter and Instagram at Spotlight Pod um, you can search for Spotlight on Facebook uh, obviously, we're available uh, to download on Podbean and iTunes and anywhere basically decent that you can get podcasts. Um, if you could leave us a review at iTunes, uh, that would be great because apparently it really helps. And we actually love reading your reviews of the show. Um, it makes us very, very happy. Uh, and, yeah, you can get lots of information about what's going on with the show uh, on all the kind of social media and that. Thanks to Ross for coming and joining us today. Um, it's been great. Uh, I've been Paul Wilson. I've been Liam Dempsey. Sorry, I was sipping on my wine. <laughs> uh, I've been Matt Brothers. And I've been Ross Okoy. See you next time. Smoother than that. Enjoy <laughs> Actually, I just want to have a note. I don't know if we can put it back in later, but really funny to see when Picard uh, in the cell, he's actually trying mm. to break out. Yeah. That was cool. You got a bit? In when he's being put in the cell with a knee. He's got something off the wall. He's yeah, like he's, doing like, something he's standing up, he's like, like trying to break out, which I thought was great, like stuff, but it was just such a throwaway moment. Maybe this film was more forgettable than I gave it credit for. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>